Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. All right, so we are going to start in Psalms 34 today. If you would like to turn there, I'm also going to have it up on the screen. Um, All right, let's just start by reading this through. Psalms 34, verses 1 through 10. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. I'll magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. All right, let's go ahead and start with prayer. Dear Jesus, I thank you that, uh, that we can all be here today, God. Uh, you are good. Help us to see that today, God. Help us to, to praise you. Help us to learn from, from this passage. Um, and help us to, to continue to seek you uh, just beyond today, God. Your name, amen. All right, so um, where are we right now? Where were we preaching from before? Where was my dad preaching from up to now? First Thessalonians, yes. Good job. <laughs> I was worried there'd be no answers to that. <laughs> um, yes, we've been in First Thessalonians, and now we're in Psalms. So we're taking way back, right? We were in the New Testament, learning how church works, all this other stuff, and now we're going way back to Psalms, and specifically a psalm that David wrote. Um, and for those of you who don't know, David was the second king of Israel. So we are way back, like, a thousand years before Jesus, um, and we're starting with uh, this passage that he wrote during a, an incredibly tough time in his life. Um, so we're going to start even farther back now than Psalms, and we're going to get some context to this passage, because Psalms was written a lot of the times by David. Um, and David wrote during his life, obviously. He didn't just write them all at once. He wrote them at different points in his life. So Psalms 34 was written in, in a specifically difficult time in his life, but yet it was a psalm of praise. So we're going to go back to 1 Samuel, um, and, and we're going to explain the story up to this point of where David's at. So um, a long time ago, Israel was demanding a king. They wanted a king, right? Now, they were a theocracy, so that means God is at the top, right? God is the king. But they wanted a real physical king that they could get behind. They saw all the other nations around them, and they were like, oh, they all got a king. You got King Agag, King Achish, all these other random guys over there. They want a king. We want a king, too. And so they demanded it from God, and God was eventually like, you know what, fine, right? I'll give you a king. We'll see how it goes. So he took this guy named Samuel, who was a prophet, and he, he sent him to go anoint a king to be the king of Israel, and that king was King Saul. Um, and Saul, at first, everything was great, right? Everything was fine. Saul was ruling. God was at his back. He was taking down all these other guys that have been annoying to Israel for a long time now, constantly attacking them. He was wiping them all out, right, under God's rule. Um, but eventually, 
Saul became disobedient, as it goes usually when things are going well. <laughs> um, Saul became disobedient, and it, and it sort of climaxed in a point where on the, the, God was sending him to attack a, a group of people called the Amalekites. Um, and the Amalekites, they, God said there are two rules when you attack them, right? One, you're going to kill everyone. You're not going to spare the women. You're not going to spare the children. You're not going to spare the animals. You're going to kill everyone and everything. And two, you're not going to take anything for yourself. So you're not going to, you're not going to take things to keep for Israel. Uh, and so Saul sent the attack in, and he didn't kill everyone, and he took stuff. <laughs> so immediately disobeying God's rule. Uh, and that's where we get to this passage in 1 Samuel, um, 1 Samuel 22. This is Samuel coming up to Saul after Saul had attacked the Amalekites and done these things. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight... I know there's some weird grammar there. It's Old Testament. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For, the re for rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Ouch. That one hurt. <laughs> he has also rejected you from being king. So, at this point now, Samuel is going to be sent to find a new king of Israel. And that king is going to be David. Um, but for the time being, Saul is still the king of Israel. God just does not have his back anymore. God's not going to support him. Um, so Samuel is directed to a city called Bethlehem. Those of you who know your Bibles know that's where Jesus was eventually born. Uh, and it happens to be the city where this guy named Jesse lived, who had eight different sons. Um, so Samuel gets to him, and he knows, okay, God has sent me here to this guy. I know I'm supposed to be uh, anointing one of his sons to be the next king. And he, he goes up to the, to the oldest son, says, oh, you look like a cool guy, right? You're, you're a big, strong warrior guy. You know how to do all sorts of stuff. I bet you'd probably be the king. Nope. Not him. God, and then he went to the, to the second son, and it wasn't him either. And he kept going down the line through seven different sons. And eventually he was like, well, there are no more sons. What do you want me to do, God? And, and God said that, well, there's one more. And so he asked Jesse, okay, well, where, where's your eighth son? And he says, well, there's this little shepherd boy out back. I mean, but he's, not, he's just a kid, right? He's not going to be the king. So Jesse calls him over, and he, and he comes over, and, and, and he, uh, Samuel looks at him, and, and God says, yep, that's the one. That's, that's the next king. Um, and so he anoints David to be the next king after, after Saul. Um, so flash forward a few years, and we get down the line a little bit, and Saul, or, uh, David is now working under Saul as a warrior, as a singer, as a musician, as a speaker. He is well known throughout the entire land of Israel as somebody who, um, who is a man after God's own heart, right? And that's the, he is, as far as I know, he's the only person to ever be referenced as a man after God's own heart in the entire Bible. Um, and so we get to 1 Samuel 18. Um, and this is, once again, this is when David is, is working under Saul, um, and he's, he's working as a musician, as a warrior. And, the, and then the, it even says the people of Israel, specifically the women right here, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Uh, he had also played, like I said, all sorts of musical instruments for Saul too because Saul at this time was undergoing a lot of like, mental, uh, mental stress, things like that. And he was in David playing his instrument 
It literally says the Spirit of the Lord worked through that to calm Saul down. Um, but eventually, I mean, David kind of had it all, right? And eventually Saul begins to be jealous of that. And he wants what David has. Um, and it came to a point that Saul eventually, Saul carried around this giant spear, right? I mean, he's a big guy. He wasn't like Goliath big, but he was still a big guy. I mean, he was Saul. He was a mighty warrior. He carried around this big old spear, right? And one day, David was playing, uh, playing an instrument for him to calm him down, and Saul took his spear and chucked it at him. And as it says, his own words, he wanted to pin him against the wall. This giant spear chucked it at David. David managed to avoid the first one. Then Saul grabbed it and threw it at him again. And so then David, of course, ran away. He pled, right? I think as we all would. Um, <laughs> And so, David ran away. He flees to, for some reason, maybe just in the heat of the moment, he was scared, he was nervous, he didn't know where to go. He flees to the city called Gath, which is a Philistine city. And once again, those of you who know your Bibles, Philistines aren't exactly friends with the Israelites. Um, and that's to put it lightly, they, they hated each other. Um, and so, he flees to the city called Gath under King Achish, who's a Philistine king. When he gets there, he thinks, you know what? I can just lay low. Nobody's going to recognize me. I mean, any Philistines that have seen me, I probably killed anyway. So, <laughs> so he thinks he can probably lay low here, right? Well, not true. He immediately gets recognized. And a couple servants bring him to King Achish of the city. And they say, look, I mean, this is David, right? This is one they sing about. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This is David. And David, in response to hearing this, begins to act insane. I'm not joking. I may, a lot of you have, have not heard this story before. He begins to act insane. He, he literally says he, he scrunched up like this and walked around making weird markings on the wall and began drooling all over himself. He acted insane to avoid, and, and so the king was like, okay, this obviously isn't David because David's supposed to be a mighty warrior, great speaker, all this stuff, and this guy is just drooling all over himself like a rabid man. And so he, he, sends, he sends him away, like, I don't want anything to do with this guy. I don't know what you guys are talking about. And so David gets out of there before they catch on to his little show that he's put on. Um, and he eventually finds a, another place to, to hide, and it's called the Cave of Adullam. And basically this cave was nearby to wherever his family lived at the time. And so it says that all his brothers, they, they found out that he was there, all his brothers came to him, and a bunch of other people, about 400 men, came to him at this cave. And, and they were all part of an area of Israel that was very oppressed by Saul. Um, that was not living, you know, not living well, essentially. They were in debt. They had all these other things. They weren't necessarily criminals, but they, were, they just were repressed by Saul. Um, and David, then, at that cave, that's where this psalm is written, Psalms 34. Um, and I want to read it again. Keep that picture in your mind, right? He is there. He's been running for the past few days now. Right? I mean, it doesn't say how specifically how long. It could have been a week or two, right? He's been running from Saul because Saul is chasing him with the, like an army of Israel to kill him. And then he's also on the run from King Achish in his own clumsy, you know, escape attempt from, from that city. And then he writes this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Has God ever saved you out of trouble? (laughs) Say it like you mean it. Come on. Has God ever saved you out of trouble? Yes. Has God ever had mercy on you? Has God ever forgiven you of your sins? Come on, say it. Has God ever forgiven you of your sins? Yes. Did David respond with, yeah. (laughs) When God saved him twice out of two different cities, and then he found a cave where he was able to worship with his, with his brothers and with these people. Did God, when one of them said, David, what's up? Did, has God been working with you right now? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's doing something, I think, but I don't know. I've just been walking around. No, David wasn't like that at all. David responded by writing a song about it. When was the last time you wrote a song about what God was doing in your life? I have I, never had. <laughs> and David responds specifically with these first three verses. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And right now he's talking with all these other people that are with him, right? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. That's David's response to God's grace. Do we do anything close to what David did? When was the last time you spent more than five minutes thanking God for what he's done? David's response of praise in worship is not just in a singular setting either or a plural setting. So it's not just in an individual setting and it's not also just in a group setting. He doesn't just worship with others, right? I mean, look at the verses, right? I will bless the Lord. It shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. There are two, there is plural and there's singular. If you come just, if you come to church just to worship, right? And you don't do anything else during the week, then that's not true worship. That's not true praise of God. You have to have both just like David did. If you have just group worship and sharing, then you miss out on a personal relationship with God. It's great to, to come to church and to worship with others, but if you aren't taking time to kneel alone and pray and to give your time to God, then you're missing out. You can't just come here and, and worship and pretend like you're living all fine and dandy with God, right? Like share a little bit during praise and testimony and all that, and that's great. But then you go home and you forget about what the sermon was. Don't do anything else to further your relationship with God. And if you have just individual worship, then you begin to become blind to what God is doing around you. You miss things because you aren't sharing in the greater picture of what God is doing. So if you get up in the morning and say, I don't really feel like going to church today, but you have a great devotional life, then that's awesome. You got a great devotional life, but you're not sharing in God's family. You're not sharing in the greater picture. You're going to miss things that God is doing because you're not looking. You're not looking around. You're not asking others, what's God doing in your life? Do you know why we have praise and testimony time here? Any of you? Do you know why? Because we're checking up on each other, right? Like, we're going to see, okay, like, what's going on? You know, we got praises that we can share. But more importantly, I would say, the other reason is that we want to magnify God. 
with what David said, right? Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. We can exalt his name alone too. Don't get me wrong, right? But he says to exalt his name together. When someone gets a job, why do we clap? <laughs> well, one, it's hard to get a job, right? That's <laughs> but two, we are magnifying God's name. We're saying, look what God has done. Look what he did. Let's clap for that, right? We're magnifying God's name. If God does something in your life, don't you want to share it with others? To bring more praise to God? That's magnifying his name. We're bringing even more praise to a God who is worthy of that praise. And that was David's, that was David's goal with these first three verses. That was his response to God's amazing grace in his own life. And that is the response we should make an example of. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Make an example of that. When God works in our life, don't just sit back and, and thank him casually. Rejoice in your own personal prayer and rejoice with others so that you, might, uh, you can further magnify God's name and what he's done. So you might be asking yourself, right, like how do we get into this position, right? How do we get there? Because it's not as easy as just snapping into place. You can't do that. Uh, you can make an effort, but you can't just snap into place. And Jesus even acknowledges this in Matthew uh, 12, 34. Jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this is a lot about speaking, isn't it? I will bless the Lord. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Well, David explains this uh, to us in verses 4 through 7. Uh, think of the verses 4 through 7 as like a, a prequel to 1 through 3. So we have David's response, right? And now he's talking about how did he get to that response? How did David get there to where he could praise like that? You know, imagine David explaining to all these people that are with him what had happened in the form of a song. I mean, look at what he says. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. I mean, look at how he says things like, I sought the Lord, right? I sought the Lord and this poor man cried. These aren't passive verbs, right? They are action verbs. David literally looked to find God and follow what he wants. And he cried out to God and pleaded for help. These aren't David being passive in his approach to God. When he talks to God, he means it. Now think about that phrase in verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant, right? That's awesome. I love that. Those who look to him are radiant. For those of you who uh, have read through Psalms and Proverbs before, you know that this phrase is super common. In the Old Testament, New Testament, uh, all over the place. Those who look to the Lord are looking to the Lord, right? But have you ever asked yourself, what, is, what does that even mean? What does it mean to look to the Lord, right? If I came up to you, was like, hey, insert your name here, I'm looking to you. That's a lot of pressure, right? All of a sudden, there's something that you got to do. I'm looking to you to get something done, right? Um, if someone, you know, if a coach came up to one of his players, right, and said, Jimmy, I'm looking to you to get the job done tonight. That means he is relying on Jimmy to get something done. That's something that needs to happen or get done, and it isn't going to happen unless Jimmy can do it. Jimmy's got a lot of pressure on him, right? 
So when we say we look to the Lord, we are saying up front that we are totally relying on God to get something done. If we admit that we need help and that we are relying on God to get things done, that means we do not have the ability to get it done. If we say, I'm looking to you, God, to get something done because I I can't get it done. We are relying on God. And that phrase leads right into verse 6. David says, this poor man cries. David realizes something, doesn't he? He knows that he is poor. He is a poor man. The definition of poor here refers to the fact that he is lacking. It doesn't mean monetarily. Like, obviously, right now, he's in a random cave with a bunch of people that don't have money either. He doesn't have money right now. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about he is lacking. His soul is lacking. And it's lacking God. He realizes without a doubt that he is a poor man, and without God, he is nothing. That's why he says in verse 5 that those who look to him are radiant. When someone who lacks something is given what they lack, they are generally pretty happy, aren't they? I would say their faces become radiant. A great example of this is, um, is it was 2017, I was about to go to college, and we had this old uh, Chevy Corsica that was just, it wasn't good. <laughs> it was barely running at that point. And my brother drove it for a couple years after that. I'm sure he can attest to the fact that it didn't work very well. Um, but I was going to college, right? So and that's, that's a three-hour drive, which isn't horrible, but you know that car was not going to make it up to the college. So I lacked something, right? I lacked a car to get me to college. And my grandpa, Grandpa Lathrop here, can you hear me, Grandpa? Uh-huh. <laughs> He, he bought me a car. And I can tell you right now, my face was radiant. <laughs> because I was being supplied something that I lacked. That's the same thing for our souls, right? Those who look to him, those who rely on him, are radiant. And their faces will never be ashamed. And ashamed there means sad. So ashamed has a couple different meanings throughout the Bible, but right here it means specifically sad. You're not going to be disappointed when you rely on God. In fact, in verse 7, it says that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Now, when it says fear, I could have a whole other sermon about that, because that's so, it's amazing. But really, what you need to know is that fear means respect, means admiration, it means worship. Those who respect God, those who, those who worship God, he will deliver them. Now, when, uh, oh, hold on. What that, okay, sorry, my notes got a little bit mixed up there. Um, God is an amazing and powerful person who loves us and will protect us if we fear him, if we look to him, if we rely on him. You know how so many people will pray for the, the hedge of protection, Right? I know Southern Baptist people, oh man, that's one of their favorite things. Pray for a hedge of protection around you, right? Well, I'm going to one-up you big time right now. Because the word encamp here is actually a military term. David was stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? And I know I don't mean the cave that he was in. I'm talking about literally King Saul hunting him down to kill him, and King Achish, who also would love to kill him right now. And he was on the run. He had to pretend to be an insane person in front of King Achish to get away. He felt surrounded right now, right? By both a man who was unjustly trying to kill him and his own clumsy escape from both King Saul 
and King Yankish, and the only human comfort he had was a band of losers, really. <laughs> People who were just as equally as oppressed and stuck. We can feel pretty stuck sometimes too, right? We're stuck between different forces in our lives. We don't really see a way out. We can't do much about it. But David says here that if we fear God, if we look to God, if we, if we rely on him totally and completely, God will surround us. Isn't that amazing? He will literally build a military camp around us to protect us. So when we ask ourselves how to get into a position in our lives of worship, right, with David's, you know, verses 1 through 3, right, David worshiping, where, how can we get to that? We can look to David's example and what he did to seek the Lord. So what do we do now, right? I mean, in verses 1 through 3, David praised God totally and unashamedly, and verses 4 through 7 showed us how David got to that place in his life through crying out and relying on God and his unending grace. So what do we do with this, right? Well, look at verses 8 through 10. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. To put it simply, what we do now is we taste and see. We taste and see that God is good. I mean, we've seen it a little bit already, right, through David's story. I mean, we've seen that God was good to David. He protected him. He saved him twice. And just in this short story here, but we haven't even seen the whole picture of David's life and what happened with him. And I'm telling you, if you read through David's life, it's amazing. God is good. David was not kidding here when he said, taste and see that God is good. And we see all the time how good God is in our own lives, right? We see here and there things that are good are happening. Or maybe we see it in other people's lives. Like, wow, God really provided for them right there. But we have to taste it to experience his goodness. You know, it's easy to live pretty complacent lives in America, right? Because we're not going, undergoing real persecution. There's a couple meanie heads here and there. But we're not undergoing persecution, it's easy to live life and not understand how good God really is. You know, we can say it really easily. I, think, I don't think anybody in here would say God is not good, right? I don't think anybody would. Not truly. We go through trials and sometimes we blame God for them, but nobody would say God is bad. But think about this, right? If I, if I were to ask you, describe to me the flavor of sweet, right? Describe to me sweet. We all know what it is, right? Like, we all know... Okay, sweet is good, right? It's, it's good. It's, it's yummy. It's sweet. <laughs> but pretend I had never had any sugar in my entire life. Pretend I had never tasted anything sweet. No artificial flavorings that made it good. No sugar, nothing like that. Now, describe to me sweet. It's not sour. It's the opposite of salty. There's not really a way to describe that, right? Because you have to taste it and see. You have to experience it. When we think about how good God is and how unending and amazing his mercy and grace are, are we really comprehending that? Are we really understanding it? Have we experienced that? Because you can say all day God is good, but you have to taste and see. Now, I have today some Oreos. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think everybody in this room I can get one out. 
think everybody in this room would know that this is sweet, right? It's yummy. I didn't get the devil stuff. Sorry for all you devil stuffers out there, but this is good. This is yummy. We all know this. Dipped in some milk. Mmm. Good. It's sweet. But pretend, once again, I am the person who had never tried sugar before. I had never had anything sweet. If I looked at this, I'd be like, wow, it looks like poop. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just this brown cookie. It's kind of crumbling all over my hands. It's got this weird white stuff in the middle. It's just not good. Why, why would I want to eat this? Well, what would you say to me? T taste it. Taste it and see. It's good. It is good. You know it to be a fact that it is good. David experienced this goodness, didn't he? God saved him twice in a matter of days. He experienced the full joy of God's goodness. The only way to do that is to taste and see. I'm not going to pick up on the mic. I don't even care, though. It's so good. <laughs> Have you tasted and seen that God is good? Have you relied on him? Have you put your trust in him? God is good. All you have to do is taste and see. Look to him. You will not be disappointed. Your face will be radiant. You're pretty young, but the older you get, the more you know how good he is. Exactly. Those of you who are a little older, you have tasted and seen. You know how good God is. Taste and see that God is good. Put your trust in him. Rely on him. Don't rely on yourself. Rely on God and taste and see how good he is. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you let us taste and see God. I thank you that you are so good. That when we taste and see God, there is no doubt that you are good. I pray today that everyone here would, would take this to heart, God. Take it to heart and, and taste and see that you are good, God. Let people trust in you, rely on you. I thank you that we can praise you, God. In your name, amen.